This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Diana Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. P.O. Greyheart. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are my amazing co-hosts, Amy Nelson and Joe Keegan. Amy, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much. Happy to be talking next generation as usual. Yeah. And Joe, how are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm no longer hungover. Um, It was our last day of school for the summer holidays yesterday. And a lot of teachers went out into Glasgow and we had quite a fun time in the sunshine and in a beer garden. So it was it was lovely. So but I'm I'm very excited for this episode. Literally know nothing. I've not read um, any of the outline in terms of the details of this lost episode. So I really hope it's not a code of honor or a masks. Um, and it's something that's like <laughs> entirely know. epic. Well- We'll, we'll, well see. Joe, Go ahead. welcome to summer. I've already yes. had a month ahead of you. So. <laughs> it's unacceptable. Yes. And me, the person who isn't a teacher, it's just a work week. But, <laughs> but you guys have such an important job and it's a lot of hard work. You guys deserve the break. So yeah, arguably the most important job in the world, I would say. Yeah. I mean, next here, to here. Star Trek <laughs> podcasting, of course, Trump, right? Yeah. Trump's everything, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, before we get to our main topic today, I just wanted to remind our listeners, we talked about it last time, but we do have an iTunes giveaway. Uh, So if you leave a star rating and written review on iTunes between July 2nd and August 31st, you'll be entered into a contest to be able to win some Star Trek The Next Generation collector's card. So just wanted to remind you that's still ongoing. If you haven't already... um, done a review for us on iTunes, please go ahead and do so. Okay, we also have some Babel Conference feedback, this time for Earl Grey 280 about TNG Blueprints, which was also the first time we had Joe as a co-host. So Amy, you want to get us started? I think that episode was the best episode, to be honest. It was so much fun. It was really. Uh, So And Vera Bible writes, fascinating episode. I'm amazed and impressed with the level of detail that went into designing the Enterprise D. Doing a podcast episode about something visual is no easy task, but you guys did a great job. Now I definitely want to get my hands on a copy of The Blueprints. Amy, looking forward to your new series. Well, Vera, thank you so much. I was worried because The Blueprints definitely is a visual object and how we were going to discuss that. Uh, So thank you for your uh, feedback. Yeah, I was really happy to hear that because it is a very much a visual thing, but I'm glad the way that we talked about it and described it was really helpful in trying to, you know, understand and get immersed in the blueprints. So, and also any listeners that want to get a copy of the blueprints, I got mine from Amazon. So I think it's easy to get a used copy if you can. So definitely encourage it if you can go out and get that. I think that episode was really easy to talk about because it was something you guys had never really seen before. And it was all those little tiny details like cetacean mm-hmm. ops for you in um, Troy's quarters um, on, where were they, deck eight? Eight, eight I think, yeah, next yeah. to Rikers. Um, and it's like knowing where all these little things are in the ship and giving it some kind of perspective. So, yeah, thanks, Vera. Kimberly Lawler says, this episode was so interesting. One question that came up was why people might want to have read the blueprints at all. 
It's a really useful resource for writers. I tend to rely on Memory Alpha, but when you are writing a story in the Star Trek universe where you are trying to make sure even little details are right, poring over blueprints is certainly helpful. You wouldn't want to say sick bays on deck 28, for instance. One other thought I had when Joe said future starship designers should use these plans for their own starships because they are so well done was the funniest concept from Galaxy Quest when the aliens thought our TV shows were historical documents. Future historians might be surprised we had such detailed plans for a starship before we even had faster than light travel. Yeah, thanks for the comment, um, Kimberly. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. Um, kind of like the idea that we are um, we are so interested in all those little details and we were as Star Trek fans we need we've got some kind of urge to know every single little thing about the items that are portrayed on um, in each episode um, I like the fact you picked up on the point which is something the three of us didn't pick up on was the it's a resource for writers because, you know, Star Trek fans, if there's a mistake in an episode, a Star Trek fan will find it. Um, so, yeah, thanks for that, Kimberly. I definitely have noticed that, Kimberly, because I was reading a book this month and I'd already gone through the blueprints. And then it was a book about Troy, of course, um, and how they how they were saying that, you know, Will was at her door and she could sense him. And I'm like, well, she's got to sense him all the time since her quarters are right next door. So, yeah, just those little things, uh, especially as you're reading, sort of adds more validity to the Enterprise D. So thank you for your comment. Yeah, it's a good point. I uh, The next time, I mean, I'm reading Star Trek novels all the time, but not necessarily TNG novels every week. But uh, yeah, next time that I read one about that takes place on the Enterprise D, I'll have to think about that. Well, Matthew Bell says, what a great dive into this terrific publication from the 90s. One thing that really stood out to me was the sheer number of bedrooms on board. I remember counting, many years ago now, all the beds shown on the blueprints, there were more than 5,000 of them. That in turn begs the question, why do junior officers ever have to share quarters? Well, thank you for that comment, Matthew. I certainly didn't have the time to count all the rooms. It certainly seemed like a lot, but wow, 5,000. I think that's five times the usual crew complement. So I don't know. I, the only thing I could think of is they might need extra quarters if they're evacuating a planet that's in distress or if they have you know large diplomatic delegations or something. But that does seem like a lot of extra space to have. What do you guys think? Do you think it's maybe something that they had all this extra space for when they're doing the blueprints? They thought, we have to fill it up with something. Mm. Leave a little empty space, but let's just put bedrooms, like copy-paste bedrooms all over the place. Maybe. I mean, they could have had 4,000 more science labs. <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> science labs need people to do I, science in true. them. So. <laughs> Yeah, but that's a very interesting detail, and I am impressed that you counted them all, Matthew, back in the day. <laughs> that reminds me of a. There's another podcast I used to listen to, um, and they asked the question: How many times did the EMH, the doctor, say, mm -hmm. "Please state the nature of the medical emergency"? And I, being a geek, went away and figured it out. Can't remember the <laughs> number, but it's. It's not as many as you actually think. So, yeah, well done, right. Matthew. That's dedication, 5,000. I would have lost count. I didn't even know numbers went up that high. Well, yeah, <laughs> I remember reading on the blueprints that they said, you know, once they did like a certain section, then they would use, you know, just the copy paste to fill in the rest. I okay. think so, especially with the computing power they had back right. then. It was probably easier to do that than keep yeah. designing more. Yeah, yeah that's what they said. Cool. Yeah. Well, Eric Reese wrote in, said, regarding the talk about why Geordi and Worf had small quarters on deck two rather than larger quarters like Troy, Riker, and Crusher, they were originally junior bridge officers rather than department heads. They were just never reassigned as their responsibilities grew. Well, Eric, thank you for your comment. And yes, I definitely know the pains of moving, probably not so much in the 24th century, but yeah, it sort of makes sense that you're right. We had Jordy and Worf. They weren't their main department heads. They were yeah, junior bridge officers. So I like your comment. I can see that. Although for the blueprints, it says it includes any changes up to, I think it was not long before generation. So 
but I don't know, maybe they just never got around to it. But I think moving in the 24th century might be easier because you just probably just beam your possessions to the other set of quarters, right? I would, that's what I would do, certainly. <laughs> um, I think maybe there's something to do with the fact that in the future, maybe there's, there's less of a status symbol in having mm. kind of... You know, what is it Picard says about, is it in First Contact, where he says about we don't um, seek out wealth and... Yeah, that kind of material possessions anymore. So maybe Jordi and Worf are just happy staying in little small quarters. Personally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I want the big <laughs> stateroom. Sorry, Amy. Go please. <laughs> are you done now? Uh, maybe. Uh, well, Worf, when Alexander came, it was clear that mm. he was in a different quarters when he had a child. So. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for your comments in the Babel Conference. Keep them coming. We love reading them every week. Okay, so for today's episode, we are going to be continuing Lost Episodes. So this will be part eight. Uh, and again, we're going to take some things from the book that I've been taking them from, for the most part, Lost Voyages of Trek and the Next Generation. So the first one that we'll be starting out here is called Genius is Pain. Now, this was written by Tracy Torme. This is the second script we've seen from Tracy Torme in this Lost Episode series because we previously discussed the episode that would have had the return of Spock in Season 2 of TNG, Then that was called Return to Forever, and we covered that on Earl Grey 249 if you wanted to go back to that. So Tracy Torme was a writer and executive story editor for seasons one and two of The Next Generation, and he was credited as a writer on Haven, The Big Goodbye, Conspiracy, The Schizoid Man, The, Roy the Royale, and Manhunt. And for this one in particular, Genius's Pain, it was a little bit maybe hard to tell, but it seems like it would have taken place in season one, but at the very least it's either season one or two. So you guys ready for another one of these dives into a lost episode that you've never heard of before? I've never been readier. I uh, did recognize Tracy Torme, so I'm glad that you, you know, gave us that. And that, mm -hmm. yeah, we've done one of his scripts already. So it's a shame that they didn't come to fruition. Well, we'll see if you feel that way after I read this one. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've just Googled uh, for like forever. I've thought Tracy, Tracy was a woman's name. Um, so I mm. just assumed it was a woman. I've Googled him and he's a man. Yes. I mean, I think it used to be more common for Tracy to be a man's name. Yeah. It's like Michael, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. There, there, there's slight digression. Digression. There are some of these things that change over time. Like, mm -hmm. like Beverly used to be a man's name, and then it yeah. was more of a woman's name. Oh, okay. Like later on in the 20th century. But anyway, um, so let's talk about genius is pain. Let's do it. The Enterprise makes preparations to beam aboard four members of the Davili, a race essentially recognized as the tortured geniuses of the galaxy. So this is something that Tracy Torme has to say about the script in here. He says their entire planet is made up of twisted artists, suffering artists, depressed artists, and crazy artists. At the same time, they are geniuses in mathematics, though they hate calculus. Uh, what? <laughs> I know, right? That's impossible. You can't be... Oh. Okay, it's, I'm going to try and not <laughs> let that, that taint detail. my perception. Yeah, Blanket. how can they hate calculus if they're geniuses in math? But I mean, Thank this you is, very much. They're, you know, an alien species. They're they're different than us. So Well, maybe they found something that, you know, how calculus is to algebra, like how everyone prefers calculus. Maybe they found something just as great yeah well let's let's see what they're really interested in <laughs> maybe okay. maybe that's why the episode never get made because we realized these aliens were stupid because they didn't like calculus right <laughs> joe that's a very bigoted mindset of you oh, sorry <laughs> all right well no no uh let's <laughs> let's see here so the davili are also impressed with earthlings particularly our numerical systems so this is again uh a kind of a quote from the outline of the script. In a stunning stroke of non-logic, all Davili are now named with the numbers 1 to 26. Why stop at 26? The Davili shrug. Why not? Thus their planet is filled with millions of 1s, 2s, 3s, etc. Somehow they manage to tell each other apart. Due to the fact that they believe Earthlings are bohemian by nature and force themselves to live rigid lives filled with responsibility, they take an enormous amount of pleasure in trying to tempt humans with enjoyable things. 
To this end, the Davili take it as a sacred duty to constantly tempt the crew, urging them to drop what they're doing and have some fun. So when I read this, it sounded a little bit like liaisons. You know that episode where there are the three uh, alien ambassadors and one of them is is trying to, you know, eat all the food they can and the other is trying to make Worf angry. So trying to like push them into something. And that was season seven. So that was much later. So the Davili philosophy is basically to do your own thing anytime, any place. Feel like spray painting a wall? Go ahead. Never eat an eraser? Now's the time to try. If someone's walking by, sticking out your foot can cause hilarious results. And above all, there is no higher commitment than the devotion to art. Art comes first at all times. To the Davili, reacting negatively to a prank or trying to restrict what another feels like doing is the height of poor taste and bad manners. Picard is warned by Starfleet not to put any major controls on these free spirits. The captain and crew will just have to grin and bear it until they reach their destination, which is New Montana. There, these artists are to design a memorial to the hundreds that have died trying to tame this world. So yeah, they're kind of like a race of practical jokers, and they're supposed to design this memorial to people who died. Weird idea, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're transporting them to this new Montana, right? That's and right. We, we don't know how many. Well, it seems like there's four of them that they're transporting. Okay. There's four members that are going to do this, this memorial. All right. Okay. So the Ford Davili are beamed aboard. Nine is tall and gangly, a practical joker, totally erratic and unpredictable. Seven is a manic depressive who sees everything in black and white, mostly black. Thirteen is a female who has a severe case of the giggles every time Picard speaks. Twenty is short, fat, and uncooperative. He refuses to leave the transporter. Picard decides to leave him be for the time being. So again, they go by numbers. Of course, they have nine and seven, and it made me think of seven of nine, but... Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So the Davili begin to wreak good-natured havoc all over the ship, painting the walls, pulling pranks, playing horrid, wild-sounding music, and adding mood lighting to the hallways. I mean, what an image that would have been, right? (laughs) If they were wreaking havoc in all these ways. Yeah. So, 13 then disrupts Wesley's lessons. School is such a drag, she complains. Why not go out and play? The kids love her, but the teacher is not amused. Nine causes chaos in a shipboard restaurant, pulling chairs out from under people, pouring salt on their food when they're not looking, and wolfing down his food in a disgusting manner just to get a reaction. Seven has fallen into a deep depression over his sudden unrequited love for Deanna Troy. There's Troy, (laughs) Amy. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. He follows her around, writing flowery love letters and begging her to join him in reckless passion. Oh boy. So Deanna is flustered, but Riker is thoroughly enjoying this, egging her on mischievously. I don't think that sounds like Riker for him yes, to be. Yes, it does. does Absolutely. It? Yeah. I mean, because this person sounds like they're harassing Deanna. But... Okay. So then Seven grows more and more melancholy, finally threatening to cut off his ear if his if he le- threatening to cut off his ear if she leaves his love unrequited. Fortunately, she talks him out of this drastic step. His relentless adoration nonetheless continues. Data is fascinated and enthralled by the Davili's antics. He is becoming influenced by them, and his personality is becoming a bit too zany for the captain's liking. Still, Data can't seem to get enough of the Davili. So this makes me think that it's it might be early on in season one when they hadn't kind of defined Data as being you know a bit more without emotions, a bit more... <laughs> android like because he's getting carried away by his zaniness like wow well when you said that it made me think of uh starship mine where he tries to initiate the small talk the art of the small talk and so i sort of figured it was like that it's like data was curious about this and is going to research it that's interesting i guess i could see that okay so data can't seem to get enough of the davili Not so for Captain Picard, who is growing increasingly concerned over the effect the visitors are having on his crew. Discipline is becoming a problem, and Picard is helpless to put an end to it. Finally, when Nine gets into the environmental control system and causes it to snow on the bridge, Picard has had enough. He finds all three Davili, 20 remains in the transporter room, so the guy that was in the transporter room at the beginning is still there, okay? <laughs> and apparently they there was a note here, they had this plan to keep cutting back to him, showing him still in the transporter room. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So he finds all three Davili huddled in a room. They are globing, tossing a small lit globe to one another. 
The globe grows brighter as it's passed from hand to hand. It seems to exaggerate the mood of its handler shortly after contact. Eventually, they all sit together in a circle, lightly touching the beach ball-sized globe. They ask Picard to join in, but he politely declines, while informing them that they're within eight hours of New Montana. Finding that they've done nothing in regard to the ceremonial artwork they've been commissioned to create, Picard urges them to do so, figuring this will at least keep them occupied. He starts a discussion of the trials and hardships the pioneers of New Montana faced in forging a home for themselves. This seems to spark little interest. However, when he mentions the glory they will receive upon completion of their project, they get cracking. Sounds like Klingons. They're motivated by glory. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Um, so then Picard leaves, and as he leaves, they're already bickering over what kind of design to create. Back on the bridge, the Prime Minister of New Montana appears on the screen with his prim and proper wife. They are delighted to greet the Enterprise. The upcoming dedication means so much to the residents of New Montana. When the Davili finally reveal their creation to the Enterprise officers, they are shocked. The sculpture is in extremely poor taste, a humorous portrayal of pioneers dying around a campfire. Could are you we, even imagine them creating this? I was surprised this? at this. I'm not surprised that it's in completely poor taste. Given what you've said I know, already, like give, give, given, their, given their background, it seems like, of course, that was going to happen. But somehow the people in the Enterprise are shocked. They thought they would take it seriously. So... Yeah, it seems to be complete opposites of their description of who they are and their actions. Because artists, I mean, yeah, they're lighthearted and, you know, their creative nature, but that's going to force them to put up something that they are proud of. I mean, I don't know any artist that isn't proud of their creations. Do you think yeah, artists that take their art really seriously? So... But apparently this species is different. It's a different species, okay. We have to be open-minded. Yeah. <laughs> They're really right. annoying me. I would have spaced them already. What was that airlock Joe. open? Sorry, guys. So quick to kill people on the show. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> so then, despite protests from the crew, the Davili are brazenly certain that their statue will be well-received. They eagerly anticipate the glorious response they will be accorded in New Montana. Knowing this will cause an ugly interplanetary incident, Picard takes a bold step. Data is secretly commissioned to rework the sculpture. Worf, Riker, Wes, and Geordi pitch in with ideas which Data implements at superhuman speed. Oh, I kind of yes. love that idea love of him it. like... That's <laughs> the best thing about the episode. See, with the, the <laughs> right. where he builds the ancient sculpture, like for the wee boy who his parents died. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's got like all the pillars and he like stacks them all up. And, and does it like he obviously he has made it but they've sped up the film for that but um, that'd be cool and I really hope it's made out of like wet clay and then they have to phaser it dry that'd be cool as well yeah so yeah I think that part would be really cool to see and also to see like Worf and Riker Wesley and Jordy pitching in with their artistic ideas that would be cool so ultimately, the pioneer characters are transformed from, from pathetic and humorous to bold and courageous. The sculpture is once again covered with a canvas and transported down to the planet before the Davili can get a look at it. Picard breathes a sigh of relief when the Davili are at last beamed down as well. Still, he's quite worried about what he predicts to be their violent reaction to Data's reworking of their art. Back on the bridge, word comes up from the Prime Minister of New Montana that the piece is a raging success. Inhabitants can be heard cheering in the background. Nine comes on screen, delighted with the practical joke the crew of the Enterprise has played on the Davili. You're learning, says 13. Picard prepares to beam the Davili aboard for the return journey, but the Prime Minister intervenes. He has invited these charming people to stay on New Montana until the next ship arrives over two months from now. Picard tries to give the New Montanans a subtle warning, but they are too enthralled with the Davili to notice. While saying goodbye to the Enterprise, the Prime Minister gets a pie in the face from Nine as a way of saying thanks for everything. He laughs it off good-naturedly, commenting on what a bunch of delightful cut-ups these Davili are. As the Enterprise breaks out of orbit, Picard wonders if he'll still feel that way a day from now. That's it's a dangerous the the choice. Dangerous choice by the Prime Minister there, I think, to let them stay. Did he get to see the their original version, the poor taste one, or was it alone the Enterprise no. crew that saw that? No, I think it's only the okay. Enterprise crew that saw that from what I can see here. So, so Joe, like, what do you think about this one in general, and would you have liked to see it? Um, yeah, for, as like you were going through it, I didn't say a lot because it, the premise was 
I found super irritating. It kind of made me um, think of, do you remember that Star Wars Christmas special? And it's like super cheesy. I've, I've heard it's notorious, but I've yeah, never seen it. Yeah, it's just really, really bad. Um, so yeah, I, th- I want to know if the Davili, are they a member world of the Federation? And two, if they are, then they must be warp capable. And then if they're warp capable, how did they possibly get to a stage where they would be warp capable? If they're just so frivolous it- about things? It's a good question. It doesn't really say in the in the story. So yeah, I I don't see how that episode would have been good, apart from the bit where Data reworked the sculpture, and even that makes me feel kind of uncomfortable. You've taken somebody's what art, and art being so subjective, what gives anybody the right to say I'm going to improve mm-hmm. your art because it's it's not very good. So yeah, although if it seems like if they would have revealed the original one, it would have been a like a big big problem. Yeah, <laughs> diplomatic yeah. nightmare. Um, yeah, interesting. So it sounds like m- maybe a little bit you like, but you wouldn't really want to see it. Probably. Yeah. Do you know what? Having said that, if it's got Star Trek in the title, I'm going to watch it. You're going to watch it, yeah. Yeah. So I give it could it. be one of those things. Yeah. So, uh, Amy, what do you think of this one? Okay, so I was really surprised when you're like finished and it was like, that's it. Wait, yeah, that's it's, it? it's fairly short so, compared to some of the other ones we've done. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's any substance to mm-hmm. it. I think it's very lighthearted. You know, they're just transporting, just like the Enterprise, you know, does many missions, just, you know, taking one group to point A to point B. So definitely a bottle episode. Um, I don't, yeah, Joe, to your point of with them saying that they're going to rework what they've already done. So I guess my question was, is New Montana, is that a group of Davili? No, 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 that's not Davili. That's, that's just another colony. I'm assuming that they're human. Humans. Yeah. But these Davili are apparently known as great artists and so that's why they're going there to make the memorial they were yeah, commissioned like or whatever not yeah. commissioned because there's no money but so but like they they were sorry they were to the sculpture was um commissioned for new the new montana folk because they've terraformed new montana new montana apparently mm-hmm. and lots of people yeah. died yeah. in so. trying to take commemorating the their okay. sacrifice okay. and, and yeah. yeah, like most of Star Trek, it's probably going to be mostly humans, but there might be the odd Bolian or Tellerite mm-hmm. there and a couple of Vulcans. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just think the juxtaposition between them being artists and mathematicians and then their silly joking behavior doesn't really sit because I just see artists and mathematicians having a purpose like the product is their end result type of mentality and being this prankster jokester and just doing whatever the heck you want doesn't seem to go with i guess my preconceived notions of what an artist or mathematician is at heart so i i'm not sure that i would like to see it because again i don't see any really big main issues about it it just seems very fun lighthearted, and maybe if we had 30 episodes a season you could throw this in but it seems like a clunker yeah. to me i was thinking about the the fact that they're artists and that we mentioned that artists take their art relatively seriously and that the incongruity between that and them being such pranksters doesn't really sit well with me although then there's the case when was it this early this year or last year where a banksy went to auction Mm -hmm. and it sold for 1.4 million pounds Uh, no sorry 1.4 million dollars and as it got sold uh, a shredder and the the frame shredded the artwork which in turn doubled the price of it it was worth more after Banksy <laughs> staged a stunt to shred the art that had just been sold for so much money, mm-hmm. which is a very yeah. prankster thing to do. 
So it is. Well, Justin, your wife is very artistic and I think she's got a great sense of humor. I love her <laughs> posts on Facebook yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, can you imagine her putting together this song or poem or, you know, and then having it totally reworked? I mean, I don't know how well she would take it. You're right, that. but I think she would have better taste than to do what they did in this story. <laughs> she would be sensitive to how other people would feel about it, yeah. I mean, I think for this one, like, it is kind of interesting. I know they're going for a humorous feel. There are some things that might have been funny or interesting, but overall it would have needed to be reworked a lot or have a different feel. But I wanted to give some more background, actually, because there's a little quote here from Tracy Torme about this script and a little bit about what what happened and what his motivation was and what could have happened with it. And that's from the book, The 50-Year Mission, The Next 25 Years. So he said, I was on another one of my quests to create a new character for the show, so I had an idea. What would be a really interesting alien on Star Trek? And I got the idea of John Cleese. So I created an episode called Genius's Pain, and it was about a race of aliens who are mathematical geniuses. They spend the first 20 or 30 years of their lives devoted to mathematics, and they're off-the-chart geniuses. They can do things that engineers can't do, the whole race. But once they turn 30, they have a philosophy of life that all life should be devoted to bohemian pursuits. So if you invite them to your house and they feel like spray-painting a four-letter word on the wall of your nursery, they're going to do it. Because to suppress it would be against their nature. I submitted the outline for Genius's Pain, and one day I'm sitting in my office and Gene Roddenberry calls me, and he sounded lit like he was not at all there. So in response to having received the outline, and this is summarizing it because it actually gets quite graphic in the book, but um, in response to having received the outline, Roddenberry went into a very long rambling speech that he began by saying he loved the proposed title, but continued by lengthily musing about pain and pleasure. So that's just an interesting little behind the scenes thing and what his motivation. So he was thinking about having John Cleese on Star Trek. I mean, would that have changed things if John Cleese was one of these Tavili characters? Monty Python been, does start. Heck yeah, that would have been awesome. Certainly yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that with some of these lost episodes. Like there was another one, the one uh, that we did previously with Q and the game show where they wanted to have Arnold Schwarzenegger on. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so I think that gives some interesting background. Yeah. But I think overall, eh, we're not too sure about this one. Okay, so yeah, that one was pretty interesting. And I think usually this is one that we put out there for people's guesses about what they thought from the title. And we usually do that, I think, at the beginning of the segment, but we're doing it a little bit later afterwards. So we can now compare and see how you, how you did. So we had some guesses from the Babel Conference. And Joe, do you want to read the first one? Sure. David Plummer said, I don't have a good original story in mind, but I really want it to be the original working title for the nth degree. That would have been cool. Remind me. Yeah. And I like the nth, the nth degree, degree. And that is perfect. Genius oh, that's is yeah. the one that totally gets Barclay. evolved by the, gets the super yep. smart. Yep. They go and visit the, the big giant holographic head. That's right. Yeah. So... Uh, Mark Bagnell guessed, Wesley gets in trouble for being too clever. Yeah, surprisingly, there wasn't much of Wesley in this one, was there? Yeah. He just was kind of there, and they were messing with his lessons, and he was laughing it off. But we've seen in the, some of the other ones like that are season one or so that he has more of a role. So that's interesting. Um, and I just want to insert, because I think when they were 9, 7, 13, and 20 mm-hmm. were creating... And they were bickering over their creation and artwork. And then they had Jordy, Data, and Worf come in. I, they really needed to have Troy come in there as well. Because as an empath, she could, you know, direct more the feelings of mm, the artwork. Mm-hmm. And again, Troy should have been used a little bit more than just being a sex object. Um, yes. So. <laughs> so I think yeah. Picard should have been in on it as well, given his, given his passion for archaeology. And his knowledge yeah. of yes. different you architectural styles. Like they they should have just like gone to a holodeck and had all the senior officers and had them around like a conference table and just talk about it while Data does his thing. Exactly. <laughs> Although with these things. Okay, we're going to yeah, rewrite yeah. this episode by the end. <laughs> we're going to do it good. <laughs> all right. Well, Brian Yates writes, something to do with genetic engineering gone wrong, kind of like Dr. Bashir's friends. Hmm. 
that would have been interesting. I did think about them when we, um, when Justin was describing the different traits of the the Davili, um, I thought of there are four of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Patrick and those guys. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. In Deep Space Nine, I guess there is four of them, huh? The the genetically engineered guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Hmm. Oh, I guess I haven't gotten that far. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, they 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 come in. I, I think Amy's probably seen it before, but they come in later in DS Nine. Yeah. Dude, there's not a there's there's a bit where they sing. It's one of those musical moments in Star Trek. That's actually a pretty s- nice moment. I like. I really like it. I like the the arrangement they've used. And it's what is it they sing? Do re do uh, do re. Yeah, do re yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Jim Stoffel says it's about a woman who's been neglected and shunned by her society because of her high intellect. The men of her planet believe women don't have a say in their world. She decides to leave her planet when the Enterprise arrives and a natural disaster happens and now her leaders want her to save them. But she doesn't know if she wants to because of how they treated her. Mm. That might have been a really interesting episode. Yeah. Um, I'm liking that, Jim. I think so. I commented, I said something like, oh, so it's a bit like Earth of the Past, i.e. Earth of now in terms of next generation's past um, because of the amount of um, gender inequality that still exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some good ideas in here that might have been better than what we read. Mm-hmm. So... Joe Keegan says, "Hey, that's, Joe, you you got that's you. You got that's, it here that's me. with a guest. Wow. Yeah. I'm, oh my I'm, gosh, Joe, why are we, you commenting? That's so funny. I had to yeah, laugh. I had <laughs> an idea for a Star Trek. If I was old enough when they were making TNG, I might have pitched in an idea. Yeah. Well, and and listeners will know since they've already heard the story that you had no inside knowledge when I read this. <laughs> I have so I purposefully am sorry yeah. not to read that line. Yeah. So." So Joe said, a genius scientist is aboard to fix something or other. Cetacean Ops has sprung a leak. But she's also a psychopath and starts to kill crew members. Troy stops her by sharing her empathic powers to make her feel the pain of her victims and she's cured. Or a Tam Elburn type is aboard and he's a tortured soul, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) So those were your guesses. The first one, wow, killing crew members. Mm. Like the book that I read this month, yeah. right, Justin? By the way, that book is the Battle of Beta Z, right? That you read for yes. Trek Book Club, which is a great one. But yeah, it is yeah. kind of like that. Mm. I know. Um, it's happened before in Star Trek. There was the, um, what's his name, Voyager guy, the Betazoid, yeah. who was a bit mm-hmm. of a psychopath. Um, yeah, and that's actually a really good, good storyline. Yes, played by one of my favorite actors, Brad Dourif. Um, and there's the other, there's the Deep Space Nine episode about the the rifle yeah. that can transport the bullets through That's walls. That's right, yeah. And there's some psychotic Vulcan trying to kill people. That's right, yeah. And for the Brad Dourif character, that was Lon Suter. Yeah. Lon Suter, yes, of course. That, those are some interesting episodes. But, but yeah. I never see Lon Suter. Well, and it happened on Next Gen also, so. Violations. Well, we're thinking about someone who's a member of Starfleet that's killing people. Yeah. Those people were going around extracting memories. But and they then weren't they part of Starfleet, were they? Dead. Oh. Were yeah. they the mean. guys in the white Sorry. robes? They were wore white. Yeah, I think so. And they were like a family that was the young, the son that was. Yeah. yeah the son. People. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what do you think about my guess? I thought my guess was pretty damn it's amazing. It's completely wrong. <laughs> But it's amazing, though. Pretty amazing, No, it would have been Joe. amazing to yes. see, but it uh-huh. was wrong. Yeah. Okay. I still win. All right. Well, I'm very excited to read Liam Smart's comment. Hi, Liam. An alien is found injured and unconscious on a planet. The Enterprise takes it to sickbay for Crusher to analyze, and she finds that its neural patterns, or whatever, show that the alien is incredibly superior intellectually to all on board. When Alien Guy regains consciousness, for some reason the crew starts to work more efficiently and just seem more knowledgeable in fields they weren't usually as capable in. But things start getting worse for the crew as the neural wave pattern, fake science stuff, starts causing severe pain and even a death. 
It takes a while before they realize it. Something else TNG-ish happens, and they all live happily ever after, except the dead crewmen. They're just dead. Hmm. All right, Liam, I like it. I like where we're going to go, you know, where people are starting to act better, but then it comes back and then things get worse. I think that's a great plot. It's a bit like the game, is it not? No? Am I drawing parallels that don't exist? Remember, Was it the game where they had the, the little game? Well, they're, yeah, yeah, enjoying it, and then it becomes their yes. detriment. Interesting. Although I think... Somebody would have probably tried to put a stop to it. Like somebody would have noticed, oh, look, Lieutenant XYZ is way smarter than they used to be. What's going on here? Um, and thought, no, we have to shield everybody from this, possibly. Mm-hmm. XYZ for the second time in three weeks. <laughs> Z, yes. That's, I'm so glad you guys have learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, Jim McMahon, probably another Wesley saves the day story, but they do it in a way that pokes fun at the concept of Wesley saving the day. I like that. I also would have liked the fact that the Davili, um that's why Wesley wasn't in the episode, because the first prank was to accidentally kill Wesley. Like, oops, prank gone wrong. Um, Wesley, I liked Wesley. Why do you want to, why do you want to kill people on the show? Um... <laughs> I don't know. Come on. We've established guess... on the edge that you want Stamets dead. So I know. Oh, that's a trend, isn't it? It's like a <laughs> yeah. little bit. A little bit. Could form, Some violent this tendencies. Could form part of a psychological evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my oh, teaching my registration like when I go back in August. Yeah. <laughs> we're I'm talking not... about fictional characters. So it completely it doesn't okay. count. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. That doesn't so, count. They didn't. Uh, Anyways, Jim, thank you for your idea. Um, I grew up, Wesley, I suppose, was a few years older than me um, watching him, and I always identified with him as a character, another science geek. So I loved Wesley in Star Trek. Would never yeah, want him I li- dead. I like him. I like him too. How about that? I, and I forget, what do you think about Wesley, Amy? Do you like him in general? Yes, okay. I do. I like him a we lot. We now have three people who like Wesley. How about that? Finally. <laughs> All right. So we also had some guesses from Twitter. So we have at Brandon Matala, who is also a host elsewhere on the network for Warp 5 and Melodic Treks. And he says, the crew comes across an alien that is super smart, but they find out he has discovered his planet is about to be destroyed by a catastrophic event. He's the only one that knows about it because he is the scientist that discovered the problem. Now he needs to determine if he should reveal what he knows to the people of his planet. Ooh, nice ethical dilemma there. I like it. Mm-hmm. Guys, I mean, it seems like most of these might have been better than the story. Sorry, Tracy Torme. I know that one's really good. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. That's, that we have smart listeners. That's why. Yeah. Well, we also have listeners that have the benefit of learning from what's happened in Star Trek over the last thirty years that Tracy Torme yeah, like, didn't have at the time. So yeah. you know, <laughs> eight hundred episodes worth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get that. Yeah. All right, we have at C. Willman Bunge, and he says, if I had to guess, maybe it was the TNG equivalent of Choose Your Pain. Hmm. Hmm. Not quite. <laughs> All right. I like, I like the, the idea. Uh, discovery connection of Choose Your Pain and Genius's Pain. I see where you're going there. I got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Just because it has the word pain in it. I think so. Okay. <laughs> yep, that's the comparison, yeah. At Road Hunter, Wesley Crusher devastates the competition in a Starfleet engineering challenge. He later discover, discovers a beautiful young alien cadet who lost to him will be punished by her family for dishonoring her species. She's removed from Starfleet and sent home to serve as a diplom- domestic servant. Wow. Oh, that's, that's it. Okay, sorry, I was going to... Yeah, okay. that's um, harsh. yeah. <laughs> I suppose you get cultures that are maybe similar to that on Earth, where there's lots of family pressure to excel academically. Um, mm-hmm. So that's maybe a, maybe a parallel episode to what happens sometimes on Earth. Um, yeah. But it's maybe about what Wesley does to try and help her, and that 
conflict that he has to go through to try and get her help. Interesting. It's another good episode. Yeah, these are lots of great episodes. Thank you for your guesses. I think this one was really hard to guess. A lot of people said Wesley or some super smart alien, but this was more about artistic genius and prankery, so it was kind of unexpected, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, there's one more that we have to talk about here. All right. And listeners, I hope you've listened this far. I know we have lots of listeners who do. But anyway, we do have a second one. And we're going all the way from early season one or two to the movie era. The first one lost episode that we're doing in the movie era. So we have one here called Star Trek Generations Take One. So this was... We're doing two lost episodes. Yeah, sometimes we do that. What? This is like... I know. This is like a freebie for listeners. This is (laughs) amazing. I'm, I'm... so glad I didn't read the outline. Yeah. Uh, Joe is even surprised. That's great. So, so yeah. The, so, this would have been written by Maurice Hurley, which I think is pretty interesting because he was producer and showrunner during seasons one and two of TNG and wrote a couple of episodes in season four. So, he co-wrote 12 episodes of TNG, including Data Lore, The Arsenal of Freedom, Q Who, Galaxy's Child, and Power Play, which I think are some good episodes. And he's kind of responsible, I think, for creating the concept of the Borg. So oh, he's you know, the voice of the Borg? He's the voice of the Borg. Well, I was reading about it in Q Who. It was like him and like maybe Rick Berman and a couple other people that were kind of collectively the voice of the Borg. But he's part of that, yeah, which is really cool. So let me read to you guys what this is all about and kind of what happened at the time. So, uh, when Paramount Pictures initially decided to transport the crew of Star Trek The Next Generation from syndication to feature films, executive producer Rick Berman put two screenplays into work. One of them, The Basis of Generations, was written by Ron Moore and Brandon Braga. The other, unfilmed script, was penned by Maurice Hurley. Hurley, who had served as a co-executive producer of the series in its early days, and whose greatest contribution was probably the introduction of the cybernetic race, The Borg, describes his screenplay as, quote, a great adventure. And a lot of this is going to be Hurley talking about it. So he says, there is basically a fold in space and an adversary who had been in a battle was blown through it into our universe. It is trying to get home to save its species, but in order to do that and in order to get home, it has to basically destroy us. The analogy he draws is to a parent in a schoolyard with his two-year-old child with the parent on one end and the child on the other. The child is in a dangerous situation about to die. You rush across the schoolyard, he proposes, stepping on toes, knocking down children, breaking bones, and smashing heads to get to your baby. That's kind of extreme, but anyway, that's the way he's talking about it. Wow, yeah, (laughs) okay. that's That's the analogy that he's using. Then you save your baby and you look back at all the mayhem and chaos and blood that you have caused among all these other two-year-old children. You could have killed one of them, but it wouldn't have made a difference to you until after the fact when you look back and said, oh my God, what did I do? I'm sorry, but I just didn't have a choice. That's the story. These other people who are here and are about to destroy us are basically saying, sorry, but there's nothing we can do about it. You're all going to have to die. Although the Enterprise is sent out to dispatch this adversary, Picard senses all is not as it seems with the alien, that the destruction being caused must have a purpose, though it seemingly doesn't. So Hurley points out, Picard senses that there's something else going on here because he finds no subtext for the attack and all battles have subtext. In a battle with a Klingon or Romulan, there's a subtext and you can define what that is. Romulans want to kick your ass and in the process of kicking your ass, they want you to know how damn smart and superior they are. These people have no subtext and Picard says that's wrong. They have to have one. What is it? That, among other things, starts him investigating, causing him to veer one way where, on the surface, it seems he should be veering the other way. Part of Picard's investigation is to go to the holodeck to call up the image of Captain James T. Kirk, who experienced a similar situation in the original series episode, The Tholian Web, in which the captain on board the USS Defiant is trapped in another dimension. Now, I think, as we know for generations, they wanted to put Kirk or something with the original series, so this is Hurley's way of kind of putting it in there. I think the... There's more about this one, but I think it's interesting that he's comparing it to the Tholian web because Kirk's trapped in another dimension, but it's not like he's going to do anything he can, even destroying something over there in order to get back. But that's kind of how he was thinking about it. And that Kirk could, (laughs) the holographic Kirk could help him in that. So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting idea. So Uh, So Hurley goes on, it's the only other time on record that it ever happened. And the only other person who ever witnessed it was Kirk. 
So Picard and Kirk have witnessed separated by time similar events. Now you want to say, wait a minute, I see it this way, how do you see it? Did it happen to you the same way it happened to me? If it was different, how was it different? It was Picard's attempt to get an emotional point of view or another point of view from the Kirk character that differed from what he was getting from pure facts. For instance, if you describe an event to me, event for me, and I read it and you say the sky was red and there was a lot of noise, well, what does that mean to me? What is red? What red are you talking about? What kind of noise? Related to something for me. Hurley getting very philosophical here. <laughs> like, what is color? What is noise? So he goes on, if you're dead and all I have is your writings, I have no way of knowing that. If I can go back and talk to you when you say red, you absolutely see a color. So do I. Your color red might be fire engine and mine might be maroon. If I know that, that alters how I view what you're saying. Noise also means something. What's noise to me? What's noise to you? You know what those answers are. The computer would just put down noise, but if the computer regenerated you in terms of a sense of who you are, how you viewed noise is presumably how you would still view it. So I get the subtlety from the personal interview that I don't get off the page. I guess saying that he can get more from Kirk's hologram that has his personality and knowledge. It's kind of interesting. So Hurley continues, but that's not enough. So he starts manipulating the image. So it basically becomes a couple of bizarre scenes between Picard and Kirk, and it gets confrontational at certain moments. You want to bring back Kirk and not have it get confrontational? Kirk will get confrontational with anyone. In Star Trek V, he got confrontational with God. So it became a way to put these two classic characters and two really great actors together and let them bang on each other. So the, for the last couple paragraphs, you'll have to remember this was written in 1995, like not long after Generations came out. So it says, despite the fact that Berman indicated Hurley's script could be filmed as a sequel to the current film, the writer doesn't think it's likely to happen. Everything has its time, says Hurley philosophically, and it's seldom that somebody goes back to the pot. It's a good idea and a good story that Rick Berman and I worked hard on, but that's just the way it is. So... In reading this, there's a lot of Hurley talking about the philosophy and what would happen, but you don't actually learn that much about what would have happened in this movie, do you? It's kind of like some alien comes by, is being destructive, and Picard goes to Kirk's hologram to learn about it. That's kind of what you know here. But I'm kind of interested. I mean, what do you think about this idea, especially in comparison to what we got in Generations? So, Amy? Yeah, as you were reading it, um, I really like the idea. Um, I think this would be another great movie where we don't have a villain, which many people have commented that they like that idea, you know, to not have a specific villain. But I mean, the person who's creating this... all the destruction would be the villain, wouldn't they? Even if they had a good no, reason? No, 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 no. What I mean by villain is mm -hmm. like revenge. Like their uh, motives is instinct to save your I own. See. Like that's not, that's not villainous. You're protecting your own, you know? So to me, that's not a quote villain. Um, and, and it reminded me of when, oh, I do apologize. I forget the name of the episode, but it's one of my favorites where, oh, it's called the loss and they encounter this two dimensional species and it's going towards like a, a moth to a flame. It's going towards this light and would cause the enterprise D destruction but again, it's their instincts. It's their basis, their basic, you know, nature to do this. And so to understand them, then they were able to, you know, get out of the situation. And I like that this movie idea would be the same thing where Picard goes to, you know, what is the motive? What, what are they trying to do? And then find it out that it's their instinctual nature, you know, to protect your own, which I think is very relatable um, I'm not sure about talking to Kirk in a holodeck <laughs> that that would make any difference that why, I mean, I can see going to him for help with, you know, in the Tholian web and having those yeah. similarities, I guess. Um, but I really do like this. Mm. I think it's a good idea for an episode again, not so much. I don't know. Maybe they would make it bigger for a movie production, but I like the, the seed, the kernel of the idea. Okay, what do you think, Joe? I liked it up until the whole Kirk thing, and then I kind of got lost. Like, I didn't see the point. I like the initially, so then this alien race comes through from the other universe, and they're like, we don't know anything about them. They're super powerful, and from our perspective, they're really evil and just want our destruction, and there's some huge 
cataclysmic battle between Starfleet and these aliens, and it's really cool because people are dying left, right, and center. And according mm. to me, that's very amazing. Um, <laughs> you like people dying, it sounds like. Well, yeah, like. I'm just going, this is the, <laughs> the opinion you guys have of me now, so I'm just going to roll with it. Um, but then Picard having some kind of holographic construct. It reminds me of the last episode of Enterprise. Of Enterprise, these are the voyages. Yeah. Yes, which is just kind of a bit sucky, yeah. I didn't appreciate this. Shoehorning two, char- two beloved characters in where it's inappropriate to do so. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't have liked the whole Picard Kirk thing there. Yeah, like I think that's one of the. I think you're you're both right. Like this idea, there these aliens that come through this kind of fold in space, and something's happened, and they need to get back, and they're just not going to let anything stand in their way. And there would be this interesting confrontation, and maybe there would be some understanding that would come up out of it, which would be pretty interesting. But yeah, seeing Kirk as a hologram, I think like of the ways to get Picard and Kirk together, it's a lot less satisfying than seeing them in the Nexus. I mean, I have some issues with the Nexus, but you're seeing the real Kirk and that's cool and they get to have adventures. The the only thing about like a holographic representation is it's like, how close is it? And how much is it really like that person would have have been? So I can imagine, you know, it being hyped up, like you're going to see Kirk for the last time. And it's like, Oh, it's a hologram. I could imagine people being in the movie theater being really disappointed. Like, that's it? Yes. <laughs> so, I agree. which may have been part of the reason why they just went ahead and, and rejected it. But I think it would have been quite interesting if, if it was maybe you combine the ideas. It was something like there's this alien uh, species that's coming like through this, this rift in space. And at the same time, maybe from they're i don't know maybe they're from the time period of the original series and the enterprise happens to be nearby and gets sucked into the rift and they have to kind of deal with it together maybe that would be cool but i i don't know i there are elements here that are really interesting and it's interesting it could have taken a different turn because i wasn't i think i'd heard there was something different possibly for generations but i didn't know this is what it was until until i read it this week so what could work as well as if this um, alien species as like huge numbers like mm. hundreds of trillions across like billions of ships and they're all coming through the rift and they all come through the rift wow. yes to escape that would whatever whatever crazy. they're running from and <laughs> the problem for the federation is just overpopulation now how can we get out of the federation would essentially be yeah. wiped out because there's too well, many people and not enough food I f- I feel like that's something with like modern visual effects you could do in a pretty amazing way. Mm-hmm. But back then it would have been harder to portray. Absolutely, <laughs> but yeah. wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I Again, I think these are pretty interesting to, to think about. And I don't know. I think I would have wanted to see elements of that. And I think that's what we're saying here, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. All right. So. That was awesome. I love talking about these lost episodes. Thank you guys for all of your guesses in the Babel Conference and on Twitter and Amy and Joe for uh, just giving your comments. I always find these really, uh, really interesting to do. So a preview of next week. Joe, you had an idea for next week. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes. So we, our flat, our apartment, um, for our American listeners, um, has a common stairwell. And underneath the common stairwell is a cupboard. And we have the padlock for the cupboard. So we just store all our like stuff we can't keep in the flat. Um, and I cleaned it out last weekend and found lots of Star Trek goodies that I kind of forgot I had. So I thought a good idea would be to for the three of us to choose our three favorite Star Trek possessions and talk about why they mean so much to us or why they're cool and where we got them. So is it just favorite? I thought it was unusual ones. Favorite, unusual, yeah, I've got some pretty unusual kind of of one-of-a-kind things. So, See, I thought that would be cool, something unusual, but it depends on how you define unusual, just something that's really hard to find. um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we each interpret it. Yeah, so unusual favorite things. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. We're really looking forward to that. I can't wait. 
Do you guys have your three things picked out? I think so. I need to think about the third one if it's unusual enough, but... No, I have no idea. And all of my stuff, you chose it during the summer, listeners, mind <laughs> you, so if my ideas aren't the best, uh, all of my Star Trek stuff is at school. And during the month of July, like, it's complete lockdown. So you There's just have no to janitors. remember what you have? Yeah, so I'm just going to have to remember. I won't be able to, you know, you have show some, you. Don't you have some photos of it? I do have photos, but like for individual ones. But I know what I okay. have. That's not the problem at all. All right. <laughs> so. Well, it's been so much fun going over more lost episodes of The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Gray. But just really in a most passionate way he could, in a compassionate manner, he, he goes to him, you are not alone. We're here to help you to do this together. And that means so much to me. Like, you know, I guess being being the youngest kid in the family, so I kind of think, you know, that like you, you don't want to be left out. So you know that feeling where no one's listening to you. But to see Picard really reach out to him and he wants to help him with all his might. But but there's just that there, there's that divide with him not being able to speak or hear. Melodic tricks. Eventually, you know, it, it the screen goes to white and then you cut to... Um, Ripley's ship that's been derelict for 57 years and there's this very lonesome sounding string melody that's playing and I don't think it's a direct lift but it's it's certainly very very similar to a piece by um, Aram Kachaturian uh, it's from a piece a suite of music called the Gain Ballet Suite and it's an adagio The Edge a Star Trek Discovery podcast no, that we say goodbye to everybody this season. Like anyone who walked off the bridge, like if you had to go take a leak, they would like all stand up and say goodbye. It was like pathetic. The orb. Maybe we all need to be comfortable with that discomfort of hearing something that's different from what we think. So instead of attacking, instead of pushing back immediately, we could just let it go. We could say nothing or we could respond with, Hmm, that's interesting. That's not how I see it, but I didn't think about it that way either. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. And remember, listeners, if you enter before August, the end of August, your name will be entered into our giveaway for the next generation trading cards. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. So how about a bonus question, guys? <gasps> sure. Yeah. I love a bonus. So since we talked about generations and we were talking about the movies, what is the one character that we saw in The Next Generation that we didn't see in the movies that you wish we had seen in a movie? What is the one character we saw in Generations? No, no. One character you saw during the seven seasons of The Next Generation, but we didn't see in the movies that you would have liked to have seen in the movies. Maybe Tam Elbrun and Gom to come back to help fight the Borg. Really? Maybe. Help fight the Borg you in first like contact? They just, they just come by and they're in the battle with the Borg and they're like, hey, we'll go back in time with you too. Yeah, but first contact has, they don't just send Warren Borg, Borg Cube, they send like five and... Wait, are we talking generations? No, we're talking any movie oh. that you would have liked to see in any movie or even one that didn't get made. <laughs> okay, I think, well, the first one that came to mind that I think we could have seen in some Starfleet capacity is Leia Brahms. Interesting. Okay, I hadn't thought about that. What about you, Justin? It's it's hard, but I absolutely think I would have loved to have seen Q in one of the movies. And I think it's I that was I yeah, was gonna I say think it's a missed too, opportunity so yeah. we never saw Q in a movie. So Yeah. Because John Delancey is brilliant. He's, he's so. amazing. And you could have done something interesting. I mean, all good things is basically, you know, movie length and Q is a big part of it. So 
Okay, but very interesting answers. I guess that was harder than I would have thought. <laughs> it was. Yeah. An easier so, bonus next time, Justin. Easier. Okay. okay. I'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> so we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not standing on the transporter pad and not moving anywhere? <laughs> For like a whole episode, I'm just standing on the transporter. <laughs> For a whole episode. Hmm. Well, when I'm not doing that, I don't know, maybe I'd like to do that because I've never been on a transporter before. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. I know I haven't mentioned it in a little bit, but I am so close to finishing my rewatch of The Next Generation. I have like two more episodes to watch and tweet about, so it's coming. Nice. You can also... (laughs) I know it's taken me like two years and a couple months, but you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not talking to a Captain Kirk hologram? So people can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com. You can Are find people me. still emailing you there? No, I've not had an email in a while, I feel. If you're listening this far, send Joe an email. Please, just, it doesn't have to be much, just hi and a smiley, <laughs> that'd be fine. Um, but I would, I guarantee you will get a personalized response if you email me. You can also get me on Twitter at joyjoe77uk. And you can find me on Facebook hanging around the Babel Conference with my wonderful co-hosts, Justin and Amy. (laughs) And Amy, where can people contact you when you're not covering Picard's ready room and post-it notes? (laughs) Post-it notes? Yeah, you know the little, (laughs) do you call them? Post-it yeah, notes. no, I know, I know what okay. you mean. It yeah. is, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, it's a prank. Yes, prank. It's a prank. The yes. level prank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I'm co-hosting The Edge about Star Trek Discovery. I'm also on the Fandom Podcast Network co-hosting Discoville, which is about Discovery and the Orville. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. But I'm right there in the Babel Conference, so you can find me there. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Why aren't they all dead yet? Great joy and gratitude. You're learning. <laughs>